Hey there, my name is Rob. This is Film Streak, and every week on Film Streak, I'm going to be watching a new movie every day. Sometimes it's a new release, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a classic that I've just overlooked or ignored for way too long. And I might even get into some obscure, more indie, art house type stuff that uh, maybe just needs a little more attention, maybe just got overlooked. So let's get started. I'm going to pick up where we left off in the last episode, and we're at number 44. I've watched 44 movies, 44 days in a row. Can you believe it? And this milestone coming up with this episode, I'm going to get to 50. So, hey, we'll just keep it going. All right. So, look, let's pick this up. Number 44. It's Runner Runner. That's from 2013. It's directed by Brad Furman. Stars Justin Timberlake, Ben Affleck. And it's a little bit of a story that, honestly, it seemed real familiar the thing I liked about this was that it took a, a, a kind of a deeper look at online gambling and maybe the world behind that, uh, the people who are involved with that kind of thing, and maybe even some of the more seedier aspects of how that world operates. Now, you know, how much of that is fiction? How much of that is reality? Uh, that's that's not for me to decide. This is all relatively relatively new to me, the the world of gambling and especially online gambling. It's not a thing I'm really familiar with. And fortunately, I think that is what makes this premise intriguing. Unfortunately, I think that's what is uh, maybe the downfall of this film. Now, I'll tell you this. The, the idea that someone can be smart and they can be principled and that they can be successful in this kind of a world um, where it, it is essentially a very kind of gray area, a gray legal area. Um, that's really interesting to me because I think that that allows for a lot of a lot of room for stories to be told and a lot of conflict and a lot of drama. And I think that's what the idea was with this film. I I think ultimately it's just the execution. There was some stuff in here that was just really kind of problematic. Just didn't really work for me. So let me give you a little bit of the the idea here. Um, Justin Timberlake plays a character named Richie, who is a, he's a student at Princeton. He's studying finance. He's like really smart, really intelligent guy. And he's... Uh, He's playing online. He's playing, I think it's like poker or some uh, some online gaming and not video games, but the gambling. And uh, he ends up losing real big. He like throws his whole tuition at it and he ends up losing and he, he realizes he got hustled. Like there was something that was up with the game that he was in that he lost in. So he starts to look into it. He uses his own like intelligence, his own smarts to dig in and find out how the system works and maybe how he got duped out of his money. And that leads him to, uh, it leads him to a figure that's kind of behind the scenes with a lot of this, uh, played by Ben Affleck, who's kind of a, um, uh, a, a boss in, in this world of, uh, online gambling, um, organizations. And they're based out of Costa Rica. Cause I guess that's like a little more open in terms of the legality, and, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this world, but this seems somewhat plausible, right? But, uh, the idea that he takes it uh, upon himself, Richie takes it upon himself to go to Costa Rica and confront, uh, 
uh, Ivan Block, Ben Affleck's character, and try and get his money back, but also maybe uh, reveal or expose this this uh, this abnormality or, or this issue that's going on with his gambling system, right? And so when he does that, you know, he starts to see that, um, or at least he gets the impression that this all seems pretty up and up and he's going to be able to go there and actually do some good and actually, you know, make a living at this, which doesn't seem like that was his intention, but it ends up working out that way for him. And it's funny that the film plays with that notion of someone who's got the right intentions and is meaning to help and meaning to do good. And even though things around them are getting a little sketchy and a little bit shady, they still hold on to the the virtue of doing the right thing. And ultimately that does start to kind of infect him. And, and he starts to see like, he's not in, he's not in good standing here. The, the business he's working with, the people he's working with, there's a lot of really uh, gnarly stuff that's going on around him. So, you know, he ultimately takes it upon himself to make his own moves and try and get out of this situation. And uh, one of the big factors that I think really hamstrings this whole film is the FBI get involved and they try to muscle him around and try and lean on him to, uh, to maybe give up some of this operation and what he knows about it. And, and that comes in the form of Anthony Mackie, who really just takes it to 11 in, in an unnecessary way where it takes you out of the movie, takes you out of the scenes that he's in. And it almost feels like he's in a whole different movie. And unfortunately, you know, I, I like Anthony Mackie. I like the things he's done in other movies, but in this one, it just doesn't work. It feels so like out of left field. So, there's so many different twists and turns and the characters are all kind of maneuvering around each other to get the leg up on each other. And, you know, by the end, I think, you know, the end is ultimately that one character kind of wins out in this situation. And, and then basically they turn and walk away and then we get credits. And I just thought it was such an abrupt unsatisfying resolution to the story. I almost felt like there's going to, there's got to be more. Like there's another, there's another scene coming. There's, there's got to be more to this. Right. But no, that's, that's it. That's, that's the end of it. You're kind of left with maybe a little more needing a little more out of what all these characters have been through. So, you know, that brings me to a little bit of background on the film itself. And maybe this would help, this helps me at least understand the intentions of it and what it was maybe originally designed to be. And then maybe how it just didn't work out ultimately in the end. But the the guys who wrote this film, uh, Brian Koppelman and David Levine, they're writing, uh, uh, writing partners that have been, been around for a long time and they've done some really interesting work with, uh, films like Rounders, which was heavily into like the poker scene and underground games and and how those kinds of things work, especially when like criminal elements get involved and all that. And uh, even Ocean's 13, I think that was one they they worked on where, you, you know, you're taking a little bit of the casino and the Las Vegas environment and twisting that around to, you know, work with 
the heist film genre. Um, but the elements are there where it seems like it's rooted in that world. Um, and even into the show that they currently are working on or, or still, you know, putting together on Showtime called Billions, which is not necessarily about gambling, but it is about the idea of risk and high stakes um, maneuvering and positioning between characters and, and the situations that are all they're all tied into. Um, so knowing that background of like their creative uh, I guess the, the themes that they always work with, it's interesting to see that this film has all of that, right? There's a lot of like lingo. There's a lot of um, explanation of how things work that is clearly like people who know what this stuff is and they understand this world and how the dynamics of these things happen. But the fact that it just doesn't quite uh, gel because maybe some more editorial decisions or just uh, overall um, creative direction, I guess. Um, it feels like actually, you know what? It feels like this kind of story of Richie and him kind of pursuing this, this life and living in this world. It might've been something that would have been better suited for like a long form, like TV series. Even if it was just like a, a short run, like 12 episodes of something. I feel like that would have made this a little bit better. You could have dug into this a lot more. So that's my take on this. Um, I think it's, it's interesting enough because it feels modern. It still feels relatively fresh, even though it was almost 10 years ago. But the fact that some of the execution just doesn't really, doesn't really pan out the right way. And then it just kind of abruptly ends in, in a really unsatisfying way. Um, I would say, you know, if you're really just into this world and, and the, the idea of online gambling and what, what makes that all work, this might be interesting, but uh, in the end, you might have to pass. I would say maybe maybe just keep it moving. But uh, that is number 44. That is Runner Runner. So now let's get to number 45. This is one that – this is a challenging one. Actually, you know what? All of these are challenging, but this one is going to be one that uh, – really took me for uh, a loop because I just wasn't sure what I was getting into and I clearly wasn't expecting the movie this was. This is Two for the Money from 2005, directed by DJ Caruso, stars Matthew McConaughey, Al Pacino, uh, Rene Russo, big stars, even at the time, especially at the time. And yet there's so much about this movie that I felt like was going to go into the territory of something like Runner Runner or some other films where you're seeing criminal elements that start to infect people who maybe have good intentions and they start to become kind of compromised, just uh, morally compromised or ethically compromised. And that doesn't quite happen here. You know, they the film sets up that Matthew McConaughey, his, his character is named Brandon, and he's a, a, a young guy that apparently was a, a sports player, a football player, sports player. He played the sports. He was a football player that uh, suffered an injury that really kind of killed his aspirations to, to be a professional athlete. But he knows the game. He knows the players. He knows that world. And so, you know, he finds his way into kind of a phone uh, phone gambling advisor role. 
And which I, I don't even know if that's really a thing. Sounds like it's, I'd never heard of that before, but anyway, he gets a call from, uh, a big, big timer, I guess, out of New York called uh, Walter, who is played by Al Pacino, who runs kind of a professional betting advisory firm that is not necessarily or not strictly gambling, which would be illegal, but it's just short of that, right? They don't place the bets. They just provide a service that tells people how to bet. And I don't know if that's even a real thing or not. It almost feels like it's not, but I don't know. Um, but the idea is that, you know, he tries to come in with his just, you know, good old boy mentality to just, hey, earn people's trust in their business by being uh, authentic and sincere and, and earnest. But, you know, he's quickly kind of uh, uh, molded into something that's not him, that is more of a slick kind of uh, hot shot, right? Uh, he finds that it doesn't really work for him. Like he fights it kind of throughout the film. He, he really goes back and forth on, to, on whether he should be himself or be this character of John Anthony, who is a, just a hot shot that knows the game, knows how to get your business and knows how to make the most out of every bet that you're trying to place and, and whatever the, whatever the terms are. The problem is that the film, the story as it's played out, it goes back and forth between that so much. When Brandon becomes John Anthony, it's not really clear when that happens. And I say that because there are scenes where it seems like, oh, he's in John Anthony mode now, but then he's still Brandon. But then there's a scene where he goes through the whole makeover and he becomes like a personality and yet he's also still Brandon in the next scene. And so there's a lot of back and forth with that. And I'm not really sure how that was intended to come across. But, you know, it's funny watching that. And even uh, Al Pacino, he plays a character named Walter. And he kind of does a similar thing where he's charismatic. He's a, he's a friendly, kind of comforting, almost like a father figure in in the film but then in some moments he turns and he becomes this just powerhouse just uh almost a lunatic and it's funny it's like it occurred to me watching this film about not even halfway through i thought wait a minute is this film something entirely different like is it going to turn out that these guys are somehow like split personalities uh that, that this is kind of a a thing that they're sharing. Cause I even thought, Oh, maybe that's the, maybe that's the meaning of the title. Like two for the money are the same or two sides of the same guy that they kind of keep flip flopping almost like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde or something. And so Walter, when he hires him is like, he's getting two guys for the same amount of money. That's really what this started to feel like. And I, I know that's not the film, but I almost thought it would have been more entertaining if it would have been that. What, why wouldn't you just make it that? But Brandon is trying to be successful. He's trying to do the right thing. And he's always being led astray or, or basically he starts to get to a point where he can't win anymore. Like his streak, whatever his magic was that got him, you know, that early success, it just goes away. 
And there becomes a point where he just starts losing big time after time to the point where everything he does is a bust. And so, you know, Walter tries to get him out of that, tries to like pull him out of this, this rut that he's fallen into. But, uh, he, the only way Brandon can do that is to drop the John Anthony thing, drop that act and be himself again. And, you know, it eventually sorts itself out with how he ends up winning again. It it starts to play a little bit cliche towards the end. And I can almost tell, I mean, you, you could guess what's going to happen with these characters and, and what they've, the situation they found themselves in. But I'll just tell you that similar to Runner Runner, these characters find themselves in a place where they've both been, I guess, they both resolved their conflict with each other and they just walk away and go home. If Walter's not running an illegal business and maybe it's a little bit morally gray and, and maybe even unethical, some of the things that they're doing, but Brandon himself isn't even compromised by doing anything illegal, but yet he can't seem to stay, uh, stay engaged with it because he's conflicted about the nature of what he's doing and how he's doing it. I mean, does it just come down to, okay, well, Walter's just a shitty boss. Like that's it. I mean, did we have to go through this whole story with this whole world for it to just be a story about that, about a guy goes to work for a guy that he ends up not really liking or agreeing with. And He's able to save enough to where he can uh, to to basically get out of the situation, and then he does, and then it's done. That's not very. All right. That's two for the money. That's all I can say about that. Let's give that one a pass. So look. Let's move on to the next one. Let's just keep it moving, okay? Let's let's just keep this one moving. Number 46, The Cincinnati Kid, directed by Norma Jewison. This is from 1965, stars Steve McQueen uh, and Margaret. Um, it's, it's a I guess, a classic in, in this genre of, like, gambling movies. Um, I'm sure there have been others even before 1965, but... This was one that I think really went in deep with that world, or at least what that world would have been. And I I think the story takes place in the 30s, somewhere around there. Well, what's interesting about it is it starts in New Orleans with a, what is essentially a funeral, but it also turns into a parade, like a, a celebration, um, which I think is really particular to that part of the country, to that city. And... um it just kind of sets the tone that this is not going to be maybe an average or typical Steve McQueen movie or a typical like gambling movie, let's say. Um, it really is in a in a very different world than you might expect from like a, a kind of a big city drama, right? And, um, you know, Steve McQueen does play an interesting character here that I, I, I wouldn't have expected from him also, um, that... His character is a guy who's trying to get in on a big game. Like he's he's a card player. He's 
maybe lost one too many times. Um, he's got a lot that's kind of weighing on him. Um, you know, he's looking for a big game to win big and maybe get back in into some good graces with everybody around him. There's a point where he, he finds out that from a friend that there's a big roller coming into town. Um, is Lance Howard and it's played by Edward G. Robinson, which is, is, is already kind of an interesting spin on the, the big roller. Cause that's such a distinct, I mean, it's like Edward G. Robinson is such an, a classic old Hollywood type of actor. And so to see him in this, um, it almost reminds me a little bit of the hustler. And so this is a, a little bit of a similar dynamic, not quite the same, but, uh, you know, the, the kid, Cincinnati kid, Steve McQueen, he, he's essentially a guy who's just looking to try and hit big somewhere. And he's also still holding on to a, a sense of, of honor about the game and how he plays it. And through some of the other characters around him, you know, it's basically set up that he's going to he's going to get in this game with the idea that he's going to win big. But. Other people want to want like a guarantee that he's going to win, not for him to win, but for Howard to lose. And so they start to rig the game. They start to set this up that it is a sure thing that the kid's going to win. And when he starts to find out about this, it kind of sticks with him in a, in a bad way. Like this is not what he's in this game for. This is not what he likes the game for. This is not what he he plays for. So in the moment, it doesn't seem clear what that means. But when you get to the last half of the movie, um, you see that kid really can't sacrifice his sense of playing a fair game or an honest game. He can't sacrifice that just to win. He's got to do it the right way. And so he's not going to cheat. And he's not going to throw the game. And he's not going to have someone rig the game for him. So... You know, whatever the plan was, whatever things that that he was, you know, set to to have happen in this game by other people around him. He throws all that out. He's going to do it his own way. You know, and yet he's feeling the pressure like he does want he does want to win. He doesn't want to have a life of struggling, but um, it's just a matter of how does he do it? Like, how does he win this game without winning on someone else's terms? How does he win this game on his own terms? And, well, I could tell you the end of the movie. And if you haven't seen it by now, like I haven't, maybe uh, maybe I'll save it for you. But I think ultimately the the kind of larger theme of this is about honor and you know, losing with honor maybe can be better than winning by cheating. And that's the struggle that, that the kid has to deal with is does he want to win this big game? Like this is the big score. This is the big chance he's been waiting for. Does he want to win it? And can he win it? But if he loses, can he at least lose on his own terms? And so I, you know, that's a lot of big, kind of heavy, high-minded stuff um, that in this film 
doesn't it's not there on the surface you have to kind of pay attention and you'll see it and especially by the end you'll really it'll really hit home i think i think if you want to have at least a um a good understanding of like the history of like gambling films and you know uh the idea of the game of poker and 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 that whole genre um this might be a good one to at least at least have a scene. Maybe you won't enjoy it. Maybe you'll find it's a little slow moving or a little bit too uh, plotting. But I thought it was, I thought it was decent enough. I can't say that I'd really go watch it again anytime soon. But it's one of those that's it's good to at least have seen now. Like it, it gives me a better understanding, a better context of these types of movies and maybe where they started and where they've and where they've come since then. So uh, that's the Cincinnati kid. That's with Steve McQueen. And um, that's number 46. So let's move on now. Let's move on to uh, here is one that I remember seeing all the trailers for the promos for and all this. And at the time I just had zero interest in it. And only because Okay, so there's a couple of things here. What I'm talking about here is number 47. This is Maverick. And this is directed by Richard Donner and stars Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster, James Garner, and a ton of people from like 70s and 80s TV shows and music and film and all that. There's a ton of familiar faces in here if you either grew up or are familiar with that era. But also, this is a film that it's it's not a sequel. It's a it's a re. It's not even. I don't even know if it's a remake. It's a reboot, basically. I, I guess in today's terminology, it's maybe a reboot or reimagining of a TV show that starred James Garner. From the 60s and and I want to say 60s and 70s or or actually it was the late 50s and early 60s. And then there was another uh, short-lived series in the 80s. Uh, All-star James Garner as Brett Maverick and similar type of premise, similar char- same character, really. But what interested me or, you know, what actually put me off of it at the time. So this film came out in 1994 and it had so many things going for it, like on paper, right? It's directed by Richard Donner, stars Mel Gibson, who, you know, for my money, at least um, at that time in the nineties was one of the biggest and, and maybe most charismatic and most um, powerful actors in, in Hollywood. And and same for Richard Donner. He'd come off the Lethal Weapon series. He'd done so many like big action films and and funny action films that this just seemed like the right kind of team to move into this territory, which, you know, I'm struggling to think if there was a, a film like this before this which was a reboot or reimagining of an old TV series. It's happened plenty since then, since 1994. 
But before this, I can't think of too many that come to mind. You know, I, I think in the years, maybe not too long after this, you had like Charlie's Angels, which, um, you know, took a 70s TV show and, and turned it into a film. Um, you, ha you had other kind of more straight out comedies like Starsky and Hutch, uh, Chips, Dukes of Hazard. You know, they all tried to turn these shows into, you know, more raunchy, really, uh, uh, films. But you, know, you even had Miami Vice that was an 80s show and got turned into like a, you know, a, a film. But this was one of the first that I can think of. And I remember in the time in 1994 when this came out, I didn't really understand what they were doing here. I didn't really get what's the point of this. Like, why not just make this its own thing? And so, and the other thing was, I really didn't care about Westerns. <laughs> I just had no interest. And since then, I've learned to appreciate it. I've, I've seen a lot more since then. But at the time, uh, this, this had like almost zero interest other than who was making it and who was in it. And so that was one that I just decided to pass on. And so finally, coming around to it now, I, I usually find that it's pretty fun. It's, I mean, it's way more entertaining, way more enthusiastic than I was probably expecting. And, you know, down to even some of the, the, the callbacks that are in it, that if you're not familiar with that era or Westerns or the people that are making the film, you might not get it, but that's okay. But like the opening scene, it's something that's like right out of, um, was it Once Upon a Time in America? Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, sorry. Um, where Mel Gibson is strung up and he's basically being left to hang. And uh, I just thought, oh, well, this reminds me of something else I've seen, which I hadn't seen then, but I've seen it since then. There's a uh, there's a bank robbery scene where one of the robbers at in the bank who's got like a, a mask over his face, but it turns out it's Danny Glover. And he even says the line, I'm too old for this shit. And you you see the characters look at each other. Like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover look at each other like, huh? No. Right? So you know, like, okay, this is a sly little callback to Lethal Weapon because it's the same people that made that film. So little things like that were nice. They were cute. But even outside of that, like the film was actually just a fun, really kind of earnest and and in a way, just very old-fashioned, classic adventure story. Uh, you know, there there are shootouts in this film, but you don't see any blood. And it's not really clear if anybody actually gets killed. Um, but there are some clever, like, kind of modern takes on some things where, you know, you see, um, you see Maverick. And and his group, they run into some Indians, right? Some Native Americans. And when you start to, you feel like, oh, they're going to go into this territory, which today might be problematic, where the, they have to be savages and they have to be, you know, 
um, basically put down or whatever. It it turns out, oh no, it's not that. No, Graham Greene, who was in Dancing with Wolves, um, he plays a very knowing, very self aware character of Joseph, who is tired of putting on the feathers and putting on the whole act, the the savages act, and. It's it's funny because the film really takes what you think is, even at the time, was probably unacceptable and flips it right on its head. It's like, yeah, we're not doing that. No, no, no. <laughs> we know this is stupid and we're going to point it out. And the characters who believe this kind of thing, they're stupid too. So I thought that was really a fun twist that I wasn't ready for because I really thought this was going to go the other way. But I'll give you just a real basic premise because here's the only problem I have with this film is Maverick is a gambler, right? He's a card player. He's good at it. He knows how to spot tells. He knows how to play the games. He knows how to bluff. And he says all that at the beginning, I don't cheat. I don't bluff. But he has his ways of winning. And so when he gets into these games, he's building his he's building his money up. He wants to get into this big poker tournament that is going to basically set him up, right? He's going to be set for life now. But he's just shy. So he's just trying to get a few more bucks to get into this big game. And the over two hours runtime of this film, probably an hour and a half of the film is just him trying to get that money. And that's where I think, you know, I don't know if it's just it needed a little bit of editing, a little bit of trimming. I think there may be a couple of whole sequences or scenes that could have just been cut. But it started to feel like it ran a little too long. And in a way, I could see why they kept a lot of that, because it does look like everybody's having fun just making this movie or being in this movie. I mean, it is just a real classic throwback to like the Western, you know, of the Westerns of maybe the seventies or sixties or seventies. And yet it's done on a contemporary scale. You know, the action is big, the stunts are big. Um, and the humor is more contemporary. It's more modern. And so it feels more like, it feels more like something you could relate to in 1994, maybe even still today. I could relate to it. But at the same time, it, it's almost like this whole TV show reboot as feature film thing, like they hadn't quite figured out the formula for it yet. Like they wanted to put so much in there, maybe as homage, maybe as uh, uh, to, to give it a, a real proper, like uh, fleshed out story maybe to introduce as many characters to to make that all rounded out but it's like it was just a little too much there there's some parts of it where it's it's felt like they're trying a little too hard and even some of the what's what sometimes starts out as fun and amusing banter between the characters it starts to become just this like annoying bickering where it's like we got it it's funny but let's shut up and let's move on to the next scene already and so I think if there's any knock on this film, I mean, you can enjoy it for what it is. And it's fun. It, it, I really thought it was fun. It was, it was a good ride. But 
the ride could have been just a little bit shorter and maybe a little bit less bumps. <laughs> but otherwise, I, I mean, I liked it. I, I got to recommend this one. And I didn't think I ever would recommend it because I didn't think I would ever see it, I guess. But I did. And now I do. So that's Maverick. That's from 1994. Check that one out. I'm sure that's available in, a, in many places because it's still it's still a pretty all-star like cast and team on it. So definitely check that one out. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to, you know what? We're going to do a double feature here. How about that? First time so far, but I'm going to try this. This is number 48. This is Revolver. This is directed by Guy Ritchie. It's from 2005. Uh, stars Jason Statham, Ray Liotta. Um, who else is in this? Andre 3000. Did I say 3000? I said 3000. Andre 3000. Andre Benjamin is in this film. And, um, uh, you know, I feel like I can't really talk about the plot of this film because the plot is really all over the place. It's a problem. There's a lot that is going on in this film. There are a lot of different characters that are going in different directions in this film. It does have some things to do with gambling, but a lot of it is just like crosses and double crosses and triple crosses. And it it feels really slapped together. And I think it even comes across in some of the directions, some of the style of the film. Like it, it, Visually, it's just kind of a mishmash. It's not all bad, but it just feels like it feels like two or three people were in charge of making this film. And that's really surprising to me from Guy Ritchie, who, you know, hit it big, hit it so strong coming out of the gate with Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, like back to back, and then went off into some other areas and tried to make some other films which, hey, no problem, go for it. But I think maybe this, I think in 2005, this might have been like his attempt to return to some of that from those earlier films, but it doesn't really pan out. I mean, it really, there are moments and and decisions in this film stylistically or even in terms of the story and the characters that they just don't work. And I don't know I, you know, I can't attribute that to anything in particular, but I just know that it, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't entertaining. And and for all that, it's like, but Guy Ritchie has turned that around again now. And he's making you know films that really do hit that sweet spot, get things lined up again, like Gentleman, uh, even Wrath of Man, um, again with Jason Statham. That's like his, that's his De Niro, I guess. But the cool thing is, I thought that this at least showed this, this to me gave a little bit of perspective on how an artist sometimes has to, has to just totally switch it up and find a new lane maybe. Because I think after this 2005, I think right on the heels of this or shortly after maybe he went and did the Sherlock Holmes films, which are very different than this kind of underworld crime drama comedy thing. But they work on their own on their own 
premise. I mean, they, I think I like those films, but here I just felt like this was someone who was trying to get back into a previous mode and just couldn't make it, just couldn't make it work. And so sometimes you just got to go far away and come back to it another day and, you know, try it again. And I think that's what eventually did happen, but this was just an interesting, this was just an interesting step in that process. Um, so the film itself, it's hard to take anything positive away from it. I, I really had a hard time with it. And so I'll just say that the reason I wanted to include this here was because of number 49. And that is another film that I also had problems with, but for different reasons. This is Wild Card by director Simon West, starring Jason Statham again. Um, starring Michael Angarano, um, starring actually several different people that you might recognize, but they're only in it for one scene or two. And that was really the other interesting thing is with this film, I felt like this had a story and a premise that was actually pretty solid, but I think it's all about the execution the the execution of this film is so all over the place. Whereas the revolver, the story was all over the place. The story was a mess. And maybe some elements of the direction could have, you know, used a little bit of tidying up or whatever. But here, the story actually seems to hold together in some ways, but the the way it's all told and, and put together, it's it's so it's such a mishmash. Like there are moments where it feels like this is like a real heavy you know, kind of a, a deep criminal drama. And there are other moments where it feels like a Jason Statham action film. I mean, it is, it's bloody, it's violent, it's fast-paced, but at the same time, it's also quiet and it's kind of detached and it's somber. And and it just kind of switches like from almost scene to scene. And I mean, you're just never quite sure what kind of movie you're in. And there's even parts of it that are funny, that are actually, it's got some humor in it. And I just, uh, that's where I, re- I, I just had a hard time with both of these films. And I can't say I'd recommend either one of them, but if you're just interested in seeing how different approaches to this genre, this gambling movies and the stories of gamblers and high risks and all that, if you're interested in seeing how different artists take their approaches at this. These are two that they really do illustrate how this sometimes just doesn't work. And it's for a multitude of reasons, probably. But uh, yeah, that is a wild card. All right. So let's get to the last one here for this week. This is number 50, big number 50. This is Mississippi Grind. And this is by writer and director team, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck who've gone on to do some interesting things since then. This is from 2015. Uh, stars Ryan Reynolds, Ben Mendelsohn. And um, this was an interesting one because this was not anything I expected maybe from this filmmaker team. You know, they went on to do Captain Marvel after this. Um, they've also done some episodes of Billions with similar territory. Um, but... Uh, this is basically about two guys who are kind of on opposite ends of opposite ends of the world in terms of their luck. 
Jerry, Ben Mendelssohn plays Jerry that is uh, really down on his luck, just hit all the wrong notes, is losing everything, lost his family, you know, ex-wife and all that stuff. It's just down on his luck. He meets Curtis, who is just you know, younger, more charismatic, more winning in a way. And through some circumstances, they end up going on the road together from it's like Ohio down Mississippi to New Orleans. And along the way, they make some stops at different places, drop into some casinos. And Jerry is trying to win some money to get into this big game that is going to hopefully set him up, right? So this premise sounds familiar, right? But Curtis is the one that tells him about this big game in New Orleans, big you know, kind of legendary thing that uh, all the players got to get into because it's it's a big deal. Well, Jerry insists that he's got to make his way there. He's got to win big. He's got to get himself set up. And the story it follows. It's kind of a road trip, right? So we go from we go from Ohio to St. Louis. You know, we go to Memphis go to Little Rock, go all the way, we get all the way to New Orleans. And, you know, there's a point where Jerry stops to see his ex-wife or they both stop, but Jerry goes to see his ex-wife and he is just, he's busted. He's, he's hit a bad beat in a game. He's lost all his money and he's, he's hit bottom. And, you know, there's a point where he almost thinks, I have to do this now just to save myself, much less try and be you know, a winner. It's like, I have to do this now just to live, just to have something happen in my life. And, uh, or that's the way I take it. But, you know, the way that Curtis is able to help him, like not string him along, but just kind of, you know, keep nudging him, um, it's an interesting dynamic because these two actors are really good at what they do and they're, these characters are right for them. I can't imagine it possibly the other way around. And I couldn't necessarily imagine other people in these roles that would, that would work this way together. So, you know, when we see Jerry who, who finally makes it to New Orleans, he looks for that big game. The big game's not there. And we see Curtis who gets to New Orleans also and he's there to maybe reconcile, to maybe have a moment with his mother. And you see that they're on very different journeys. And and yet, well, I can't, I can't necessarily give it away. But there is a moment where they both realize they're on a hot streak. They 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 can do no wrong. They they they've got the hot hand going. And so they've got to go all in. And it's a really big moment. I mean, the, the way that the film builds in terms of they, they're trying to get ahead, not quite happening. They're trying again. Maybe it's happening. And then they finally get this. This is like their last chance to make anything work. And it starts to happen. And you almost feel like it's setting you up for the worst. And so, you know, won't say what really happens, but there is a moment where they do have to say, well, what do we want out of life? If we win, if we don't win, what do we want? And does it matter how much we win? Does it matter if we win at all? 
So it was actually much more of a deeper kind of a internal story that's being told here that I really wasn't prepared for. I thought this was actually going to be more of a comedy. And it's got some funny moments in it, but it is a lot more about, um, you know, what happens when you let this kind of thing take over you and take over your life and the way that you, the way that you approach everything around you. And I mean, come on, man, that's really big, heavy stuff. And yet it's got some real fun light moments in it because Ryan Reynolds and, and these two guys play off each other that you can't help it. It's it's just sometimes it's just fun to watch. So, you know, I would say, look, this one was actually a surprise for me because I hadn't heard of this film before. I just happened to find it. I was looking, okay, give me some good gambling movies that I haven't seen yet. And this was one of them. And so... It's a, it's kind of a slow mover, you know, it's not a big high, uh, high pace, uh, action, you know, packed road trip. It is much quieter and slower than you might think, but I think it's got at least some deeper resonating themes in it that some of these other films just don't have. So there's got that going for it for sure. But, um, I would say give that one a shot. If you happen to find it anywhere, it's maybe it's a little hard to find, but if you, see it somewhere you want to check it out you have an evening to to if you're into gambling movies if you're into or if put it this way if you know somebody who's on a bad beat who has maybe a problem with this this might give you a little bit of insight actually or i feel like it did to me so that's one i'd have to recommend and that's mississippi grind that is number 50 on film streak here 50 films in 50 days and we're going to keep it going. And so, look, this was uh, this was interesting so far. Doing this week, this is a, a genre that I thought I had seen a lot of films of, and actually have probably seen the better ones. There are a lot of others out there that I didn't include, but I did want to see something that tackled this kind of gambling, uh, high stakes world of of poker or cards or, or whatever. And see how different people approach this. Because this can be kind of tricky. Because a, a lot of these films, it's not about the game itself. I mean, the game is in there. But it's not crucial to the plot. And yet, uh, I, I, I'm i surprised in a way to find that it's a, a lot of it is a mixed bag. Like a lot of it, the games are almost not even important. Which is, honestly, that's a little bit disappointing. But there's one film that is such an obvious choice for this list that I have not seen, but I'm going to save it because it was remade. And so what I'm going to do later on down the road, I'll do that and I'll watch the original and I'll watch the remake and we'll talk about that then. So how about that? In the meantime, thanks for listening to Film Streak. And uh, like I said, go to filmstreak.com. You can find more episodes you can subscribe we're on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, amazon podcast the podcast podcast everywhere you find podcasts that's where we are and uh we'll keep this thing going so in the meantime i'm rob this has been film streak thanks for listening and keep watching those movies <laughs>